I'm excited to be with you this morning. We are working through our Story of God series, and I've got a confession to make. I don't love to read. I think I've told you this before. I don't love to read. But we are more than halfway through our series. So if you're looking at this, there's six of these, and we're moving from the third to the fourth. And so I want to ask a question. How many of you, when you read... You start, like when you finish a chapter, you take the book and you turn it sideways and you look at it to see how far into the book you are. Anyone else do that? All right. I do that all the time because I just want to know how close to done I am because I don't love to read. I, I, I love to learn, but I don't love to read. And, and so good news today, we're more than halfway through our story. We're talking about the story of God and, and how the story of God is our story and so really what, you, what we want you to see, what I want you to see in this is that the story in Scripture that we see, that God's story, it is just like reading a book, just like reading a novel, it's a story. And, and so we started the first week and we, we saw that God created and God created us humans and put us in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden in, in paradise where, where they were with God, they relied on God, they had everything they needed. It was perfect. But then there was a serpent and the serpent tested them and tempted them to take and do things their own way. And so that's, the apple represents that Adam and Eve chose to go their own path, not to follow God. And so the perfection that God had given them turned to brokenness and pain. And, and then the second week, they've been giving me a hard time because I haven't picked up the scrolls yet, the covenant, so I'm doing this just so the staff won't make fun of me. This, what happens next after we blow it, after we mess up the perfect paradise that we had is God swoops in and enters into a covenant with us to save us, God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And God jumps into things again and says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you, and, and, and I'm going to lead you. And so we have covenant. But then last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes it's, it's hard to follow God because we can't see God. And so the Israelites, when they started to have trouble, when they started to run into difficulty, they started to look at other nations, they started to look at other people and see that those other people had these kings, these powerful men that, that led them, and they said, well, we need a king like those other nations, because it's, it's hard to trust in a God that maybe you can't see all the time, and it's hard when you're, when you're staring into a difficult place to trust that God, even though God's been faithful over and over again, that God is going to show up and do what's best for you. And so the Israelites wanted a king. And, and that's what brings us to today. The Israelites wanted a king like all the other nations. They wanted a strong ruler. They wanted somebody who, would, who they could see, who, would, who, who could give them confidence and power and security. And, and so, so they call out and they say, we want a king. And God says, okay, if, if that's what you want, here you go. And the problem we see here is that, that the people of God weren't trying to go back to the way it was supposed to be, that we were dependent on our creator, but the people of God were looking at other people, and they just wanted to be a little bit better version of those people. 
And they wanted to settle for something that was less than what God had created them for. And so the people wanted a king. They wanted a powerful, strong, charismatic king that would lead them and would protect them and would take them into battle. And so that brings us to today. And, and what the people wanted was a king, but God knew what the people needed. And that was a true king, a different kind of king. And so today we're going to talk about not the king that we want, but the king that we needed. And this is huge for us because this is our story. And as we look into scripture today, I want us to understand that that the true king you need is not the king that looks like, a fa has a fancy crown and lives in a fancy place. What you need is King Jesus to come and lead you and guide you and protect you and provide for you. And so today, we're going to talk about Jesus. They wanted the crown, but God knew that they needed the crown of thorns. They needed Jesus. And, and so Jesus came. And, and I'm going to blow through this. This is a real fast summary. You can read the story. Most of you have it on your phone or in a Bible, but you can read the story. But I, I'm going to kind of move through this quickly. But Jesus came. He came to earth and he started ministering and doing things. And, and we see that Jesus starts to do miracles. He starts to heal people. He starts to, to speak. And when he speaks and when he heals, people start to follow. Because people want to be a part of what this Jesus guy's doing. Because people wanted a king. And after getting the kings that they had asked for, they, they dealt with the consequences. Like we said last week, when you want a king of your own, you deal with the consequences of that king. And sometimes that worked out okay. Sometimes it worked out really poorly. And so the people still, even though they got the king they wanted, they still needed something more. And so Jesus came and the people start to get excited because here he is, this is the guy He's finally going to give us what we need. And so, so Jesus' popularity is growing. He's healing. He's getting a following there. People are loving his teaching. And that brings us to this moment in Matthew 21. Usually we would read this on Palm Sunday, but, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21. And, and this is the triumphal entry is what we call it. This is when Jesus is moving towards the end of his ministry. He's heading to Jerusalem. So the people, Jerusalem's the place that if the king is going to establish himself, he's going to do it in Jerusalem. And so the people see Jesus, oh, Jesus, the guy's coming, and he's going to Jerusalem. This is it. This is the time. And so I want us to look at Jesus entering Jerusalem, and there's three things that I really want us to see because it tells us who Jesus is, what Jesus was all about, and why we need Jesus so much. So let's pick it up in verse 7. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This is as he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So, so Jesus, the great, the new king, the, the, the one that's going to save them, finally going to be what they wanted all along. Jesus is ready to enter Jerusalem. And the king is coming to take his throne. And we see Jesus say, hey, 
Can you go grab me a donkey? A donkey. A donkey. Are you hearing me? A donkey. Jesus, the great king, is going to ride in on a donkey? That doesn't make sense. I was thinking about this. The, the people that we tend to idolize, the people that we think are, are kings, they usually make a pretty big entrance when they come into a, 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 an arena or, or an airport or something like that. I was thinking about how many of you were Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan fans? Oh, not that many. Okay. I like going to Indiana Pacer games. But one of the, my favorite parts and is the beginning when they announce the players coming out. I tell the boys all the time, I'm like, we got to get there early because if you miss the starting lineups, you're missing it all. Like, this is, this is the thing, but, but not, nobody does it like Michael Jordan and the Bulls did back in the day. When, when they would come out, they would black the arena out, and that music would come on, and you'd start to get hyped up, and the lights would go crazy. If you go to Cleveland for a game, they've got fire that shoots up, and they would announce four of the starters, but then there was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the great basketball player, the guy that changed the NBA, and he had this huge introduction and people went crazy. If you've been to a sporting event, you've probably experienced that. There's, that's how a lot of people enter. I, I remember, some of you will, will relate better with this one. Several years ago, the Reds had a guy named Aroldis Chapman and he threw the ball like 105 miles per hour. And I remember I went to a Reds game and, and when the ninth inning would come and the Reds would be up by a couple runs, they would bring Aroldis Chapman in. And all of a sudden, the scoreboard would light up with fire, and they would do this intro, and Aroldis Chapman would come running out, and the fans were pumped up because we knew that Aroldis Chapman was going to save us. He was actually going to get the save, which is a baseball term. He was going to save us, and we were going to win. Or maybe you would relate better with the thought of a president or a king coming in. How do they travel? When was the last time a president came into town riding on a donkey? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. They usually travel on a nice Air Force One jet, or if you're in other countries, maybe with this big motorcade, or even when you think about Hollywood stars that we look up to and we think they've got it all, and how do they travel up to their movie premieres? They come in a limo, and they're dressed up all perfect, and they make an entrance, and so the people are thinking, the king is coming. This is the big entrance. And Jesus says, hey, can you get me a donkey? I'm going to ride in on a donkey. This wasn't quite what the people were expecting. Jesus didn't come in to make a big deal. He didn't come in to show off. He didn't come in to, to show everyone how great he was. He came in riding on a donkey because Jesus came to humbly serve the Father and the Father's children. See, they wanted him to make a statement. They wanted Jesus to come in. We all want our leaders to make a statement, right? And Jesus did make a statement. Not the one they expected, but the one they needed. And he humbly rode in on a donkey because he wants the people, number one, it was prophesied, but number two, it's because of the kind of king that Jesus was. He wasn't about the show. He was about humbly serving the Father and serving us. And so he rides in on a donkey. And guess what? The people still don't get it. 
They still don't get it. They, they still are trying to throw a big party and they think things are going to turn out the way they want them to. And so the people don't get it. The first thing that we see about Jesus is that he didn't come to teach us fame and power and strength and control. He came to teach us humility. See, we wanted power. We wanted strength. We wanted pomp and circumstance. Jesus came. What we needed was humility. I'll be honest with you. I think there's a lot of us today that we want a king that's strong and powerful and gives us security and, and we want pomp and circumstance. How many of you have, have been tempted? I've been tempted to think this. Oh God, just come and show everyone that they're wrong so that we can be right. Sometimes I think we're more concerned with, with our king helping us win Facebook arguments than coming to save us. I, I'm being serious. I, I, it's funny, but it's not. Too often, we want a king that looks like this. A king that's going to put us Christians in power. A king that's going to give us our way and is going to give us security and give us everything we need. But the king that we want is not the king that we need. And so Jesus, first and foremost, comes humbly riding on a donkey because we need to learn humility. So we see this humble king riding on a donkey, but then things take a little bit of turn. The second thing we learn, we're gonna see here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. So let's pick it up there, because the story changes a little bit here. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So, okay, Jesus rode in on a donkey, and this probably wasn't what the people were expecting, but then we see what the people are expecting. We see this powerful king who comes into the temple, and he starts turning over tables, and he says, you guys better get it right, you better get it straight, and we see this power and this strength and this is, okay, finally, here we are. We got Jesus flexing his muscle, right? But I would imagine the people were kind of thinking, wait a minute, you're flexing your muscle on the religious people. You're turning over tables. You're, you're causing a scene with the religious people. Shouldn't you be going to the palace and overthrowing those people? Shouldn't you be showing the people who are wicked sinners? Shouldn't you be... Shouldn't you be turning over their tables? We see Jesus all of a sudden isn't just this humble servant, but we see Jesus is absolutely passionate about the Father's will. But Jesus doesn't go after the palace. Jesus goes after the temple. And so, so much for that soft-spoken king. Jesus shows up. And, and, and he confronts something very different than we would expect. See, we want a king to teach us, to, to show us that we're right and everyone else is wrong. But when Jesus, the true king, comes, he didn't come and, and show the religious people to be right. He came and he went into the temple and he started flipping tables. And he told them that my house is to be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. See, Jesus came to attack 
the mentality that religious people had that they were the beholders of God's glory and that they could control God's power, that they were the ones that were right and everyone else was wrong. See, I want you to get this mental picture because this is another thing that we struggle with. Sometimes we're tempted to think that because we know God, we are above everyone else. And if, if they want to be like us, then they have to get it right. They've got to change because we're Christians. And they're not. And God came to lift us up, right? But Jesus didn't come to just lift us further and push them down. What we see here is something really important. Jesus tells us exactly what it is. And I think to understand this better, we've got to look at Isaiah 56, which is where Jesus is quoting from. Because usually, I'll be honest, when I've read this text, I thought that the biggest issue was that Jesus was mad that they were making money off of faith. But that's a part of it. But I think there's something a lot deeper here. So let's look at Isaiah 56. I'm going to read a good bit of it, but then there's going to be just one part on the screen for you. So it starts in verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who, who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Foreigners. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. And then this is the part you're going to see. For my house will be called a house of prayer. And there's three words here that are really important. For all nations. See, I'm convinced. Oh, let me, let me read the rest. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those who are already gathered. So Jesus comes into the temple and you know what's happening in the temple? The religious people wanted a king that would put them in power, that would lift them up. But do you know what happens when a king lifts us up and not others? We start to think that we are above others, that we're better than others, that we control this thing called the kingdom. And what happened was the religious leaders started to try to tell who could be in and who could be out. And they looked at anyone who wasn't them and they said, you're not good enough. And if you ever want to be good enough, then you've got to do this and this and this and this. And they were making money on the way. You've got to become like us because we hold the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus goes in and says, absolutely not. And he starts flipping tables. And he says, this is a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Not only are they robbing people of their money, but they're robbing people of the free love and grace of God that is offered to everyone. And if you look at the full quote, you see that what God is all about is that Jesus, the king that we needed, 
didn't come to just lift up religious people. Jesus came to love and to die for everyone. And so we have this mentality sometimes in the church that I'm good because I know God and you're just a lowly, lowly, lowly scum of the earth. And if you ever want to be welcomed into our house of worship, then you got to follow our rules. you got to do what we want you to do. you got to fit our picture. And you know what? The king that we needed comes in and says, forget that. I came for all nations, for all people. I came to restore others. See, we like to say, you can't wear that. You can't wear that in the temple. You can't talk like that in the temple. You can't do that in the temple. You can't live like that and be God's people. No, that's not how it works. Jesus came for all. Jesus loves all. And do you see the difference in the mentality there of the real king that we needed and the religious people? They looked at this king as someone who would elevate them and push others down. Jesus wanted to lift others up. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came to save those that are outsiders. Jesus came not to pump up the religious and make us right and let us win Facebook arguments and let us be the kings. Jesus came to save that which was lost. And we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. Because there's a world around us that we can become a country club, an exclusive club that's holier than thou. But Jesus didn't come to feed that mentality. Jesus came to save the people that we would look down on, the people that we would want to exclude. And so the king we need came for all. And this is good news. And let me tell you why it's good news. Because we were the others. We weren't this. We were this. And none of us would be here today if Jesus had just come for the religious elites. But Jesus came for all. When I, when I was a youth pastor in South Carolina, the, the first year I was there, we started to just see awesome things happen. And our teens started to bring friends and good things. I mean, it was a really cool thing. We had this little, um, we had this little trailer that we met in. And, and all of a sudden, after a few months, like we couldn't fit in the trailer anymore because all these other kids were coming. And, and it, it was the coolest thing. And I went to the church board and I said, hey, we need some more space. We, we can't fit in the trailer anymore. We, we just can't do it. I need some more space. And they said, hey, why don't you meet in the sanctuary? Which was great, except I knew that if the people sitting on the church board could see the teenagers that were walking in every Wednesday night, they wouldn't be too thrilled about them being in our sanctuary. They wouldn't like the words that they heard. They wouldn't like the clothes that they saw. But here's the thing. Jesus was moving. We were reaching people for Jesus. 
And, and what, what Jesus came for, the one true king, was not to, to just help our country club look better. He came for others to love and to die for others. And so we as Christians, we as followers of Christ cannot be about controlling the keys to the kingdom. We can't be about lifting ourselves up. We can't be about looking down on others. We need to be for others. We need to do everything we can to reach others for Christ because the true king didn't come so we could have nicer gatherings here. The true king came so that people could be restored and that others could know Christ. Man, we have to be about others. And so he came humbly on a donkey because that's what we needed. And he came for others, which is what we needed. But then I want to look at verse 14. And it says in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. See, I know this is just a small verse but this is important because Jesus came to teach us humility and Jesus came for all, but Jesus came to heal. Throughout the ministry of Christ, he went and he healed people of physical things. He cast out demons and this is, Jesus was all about healing. But, but it wasn't just this healing. It wasn't just healing people of their physical difficulties. Jesus ultimately came to do something much bigger than that. And that was to heal our hearts. He was all about healing physical diseases. He was all about restoring people's health. But you know what Jesus was really all about? He was about restoring people's hearts. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Let me explain that one to you. See, we were created for paradise. We were created to have relationship with the creator. We were created to be dependent and rely on the almighty God, but, but we chose our own way, and we were broken. And then God came in and said, if you'll just trust me, I will be your God. You will be my people, and I'll take care of you. And things were good until we decided that we wanted to do our own thing. We wanted our own kind of king. And so you see right here at the beginning that things were perfect, but then there was this break, there was this fall, and we've been broken ever since. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose. This purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The devil's the reason we fell in the first place. The devil's the reason that we are broken inside, that our relationship with our creator is severed. And Jesus came to make it right, to undo the works of the devil. We just sang the song, Jesus overcome. He overcame. And so we don't have to be slaves to sin and death anymore. We don't have to be people who blow it every time. We don't have to be people that rely on kings that can't help us. We have a king that came to save us and to heal us. And so this is a big thing. We wanted a king that would change our circumstances. But Jesus did not come to change our circumstances. Jesus came to change our hearts because that's what we really needed. 
Jesus came to restore us, to heal us. And so, so three things. Jesus came to teach us humility. Jesus came for others, for all. And Jesus came to heal our hearts and restore what is broken. So what does this mean for us today? Well, I think just like the Israelites, we tend to want our own kings. We have kings that we want, and then we have a king that we really need. Sometimes we fall into the trap of, of wanting a king that's going to bring us security. Sometimes we fall into a trap of a king that's going to, that's going to pump us up and give us control and power. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? If, it would be great if everybody knew that God was king and that if it was proven and so we didn't have to worry about persecution and other things. It would be great if everything worked out and if the people that followed God were rich and the people that didn't struggled. That would be great, right? No. No, that's the king maybe sometimes we want. But the king we needed looked very, very different. Because, and this is an important idea, without Jesus, we can be surrounded by prosperity and we can be completely broken. It happens all the time. People have all the security and all the money and all the power and all the control they could ever have. And they're completely broken inside. Because the king we want is not always the king that we need. The king that we need is going to heal us and restore us to who we were created to be in the first place. So without Jesus, we can have all the prosperity in the world, but we can be completely broken. The biggest problem, hear this, this is important today, this is real for every one of us. The biggest problem you have is not the sin in the world around you. It's the sin in your own heart. It's the brokenness between you and the Creator God. Hear me again, because I think a lot of times we think our problems are outer, outer problems, outside circumstances. Your biggest problem is not the circumstances around you and the evil in other people. Your biggest problem is the sin in your own heart that causes you to want to do things on your own and rely on yourself and have kings of your own. Jesus came to restore that. And so without Jesus... We can have prosperity and be completely broken, but here's the good news. With Jesus, we can be completely whole even if our surroundings are broken, even if our circumstances are broken. With the king that we need, we can have complete wholeness and peace and love, even in the worst of times, even when there's mass shootings, even when there's arguing all around us, even when there's war, even when it seems like we're losing, we can have complete peace because the king we need came. He came to die. He came humbly on a donkey. He came for, for those that maybe people would look down on and he came to bring healing and ultimately he did because he triumphed over sin and death and the grave couldn't hold him. And our king is victorious. And you can have peace today. You can have peace today. And so I want to invite you. 
as we finish this service, I want to invite you to think about the kings that you've wanted. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. I want to invite you to think about the ways that maybe you have traded the almighty God for a king that you thought was going to give you what you needed. Maybe it's, maybe it's security. Maybe you see the enemy around the corner and you just don't know how you're going to survive and so you've, you've traded trust in an almighty God who's always provided for some other king that you think is going to keep you safe. Maybe it's that you've become a little bit more religious and high on yourself and you think that the king just needs to help you become bigger and stronger and right. And maybe your heart just needs a tune-up today and you need to see others the way Jesus did. And you need to be all about others. And maybe today there's just some of you that feel completely broken. You know something's wrong inside. You know you're not right. You know this isn't what you were created for. But our true king, the king we needed, came to heal us. As we sing this last song, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to surrender yourself to not the king you wanted, but the king you need. Jesus is available today to restore your heart. Whether you've been a Christian for 30 years and you just happen to get off the path a little bit, or whether you have never, ever entered into this relationship with the Almighty God, Jesus is here today. And one of the cool things is we have these altars. And altars are not a sign of shame. They're not something that if I come to an altar, I'm admitting that I'm just the worst of the worst. Altars are a place that we can come and we can offer ourselves to God, and we can hear from the King of all kings. And so as we sing today, I want to invite you to surrender yourself, completely surrender yourself to the King that you need, to follow the God that created you, that has provided for you, that protects you, and wants to guide you through anything that you might face. Father, as we sing this last song, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray that we would honestly humble ourselves before you today. I pray that you would change our hearts. And I pray that you would heal us. In Jesus' name. Come if you want to pray.